in terms of like late bloomer you know the thing is is like you could do nothing or you could do something <laughs> you know whatever that thing is yeah you know there's a time that you have left and there's what you make with that time you know and how you want to spend it Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Hello, and welcome to the last episode of season two. Wow. First of all, I can't believe this is episode 109. I can't believe I've been doing this for over two years. I can't believe how much I still love it. It feels like the best decision I've made besides getting married and having kids. I've learned so much doing this. And I, and I just feel so lucky to be sharing these stories with you. I'm taking a little break because we have a lot going on around here. Our oldest child is heading off to college soon. So I'm giving myself some time and space to get everything ready and relish this last little bit of time before the big send-off. It's a bittersweet moment. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited, proud, sad, and anxious all at the same time. We've decided to use this time for one last big trip as a family before everything changes. So we're heading off to Ireland. I've never been, and I've always wanted to go, and I cannot think of a better way to celebrate where we are at this point in our lives. You know, change is inevitable. Change is scary. Change is exciting. I'm doing everything I can to embrace it with curiosity and a sense of adventure, as I like to encourage you to do. So I'm trying to walk that talk, baby. I'm also really excited to close out the season with today's guest because embracing change is at the heart of her story. Her name is Sue Mel. She just published her debut novel at the age of 65. The title of her book is Provenance. I love it. It's the story of a widower who is seeking to pull his life together after moving back to his sister's basement in his small hometown in upstate New York. And I got to thinking about her title. So I just looked up the definition of the word provenance. And here it is. Provenance is defined as the place where something originally came from or began. Or a record tracing the ownership history of certain items that helps to confirm their authenticity and value, like if you think about artwork, right? And this all ties into her story so well. You know, the place where something originally came from. Sue explores the meaning of that word in so many ways throughout the novel. And in my conversation with Sue, we explored her origins because besides writing, she's got a background that includes many different art forms. And there are so many parallels between her personal story and the story of her novel. So I'm not going to belabor this anymore. Okay, without further ado, here's Sue Mel. Let's go. Hey, Sue. Thank you so much for being with me. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I, it's really an honor to be here. I love the podcast. I've really oh, been enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so excited and and a little nervous. I'm, I'm just going to say this right off the bat. We've got some construction happening, so we may have some noise interruptions, but I'm, I'm hoping that it stays to a minimum and uh, we'll just roll with it while, we, while, we, while we're together, right? Sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Awesome. So I 
just finished your book and I told my husband he needs to read it. Um, oh, it's, it is so, it's so touching. It's so, it's so real. It just, uh, yeah, I, I immediately connected with DJ, the main character and, oh, and really you. everybody else. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's, it's really great to hear. Yeah. So is this is your debut novel? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. That, so have you written other novels that didn't get published? Or is this the first one that's being published for you? No, I was always a short story writer previously for fiction. Yeah. And this book started out as a short story when I was in graduate school. And um, you know, I got to about like 30 pages. And I was working with my advisor. And I said, you know, I think I could see the ending, you know, and she's like, yeah, I don't think so. She said, I don't think this is the story. She's like, just keep going. And I mean, I was in denial for a long time. But when I hit like 60, 70, 80 pages, I was like, okay, this is, I'm obviously writing a novel now, which <laughs> I don't know how to do. But uh, that's how you figure it out is by doing it. Yeah, that's um, so interesting. So now you had a career as a stylist, right? Doing photography styling. And were yes. you writing the whole time? Like, has it always been something that you've done or is it something you picked up later in life? No, it was something that I avoided for almost my entire Oh my life. gosh, I love that and, answer. Uh, I've always been a creative person. I've always done creative things. But writing was the one thing I was like, yeah, that is way too hard. It's too isolated. I didn't, you know, a lot of my friends were English majors in college. I majored in art. I actually have a recording someplace from an astrology reading in my 30s, where the reader kept on saying, you know, that all my stuff was in the house of writing. And he was saying, you know, I see pages around you. And I was like, no, 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 that must be drawing. <laughs> you know, and I was like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And he said, uh, well, maybe, maybe you'll have an illustrated story, but it's the words that are important on the page. It's the words that are important to you. And I did actually become an illustrator. I had a pretty good business for about seven years living out in San Francisco. And then the dot-com bust kind of did in my, I was like ahead of the curve and seeing my business dwindle. Um, and then I went back to doing, I mean, I was always doing the styling off and on to support myself. And then eventually my illustration business became a full-time and then when I saw my business kind of slowly tanking, I, I went back to photography. How did the um, dot-com bust affect your illustration career? Like what was Lots the Lots of magazines closed oh. down. There was just less and less of work. Um, a lot of stock photography. People weren't spending money on um, hiring illustrators. Um, Gotcha. So ge a general, like just the whole recession, shrinking. Just, yeah. just shrinking and yeah. pulling and people pulling back on expenses and finding yeah. other ways to, to do it. Right. Exactly. So, so um, yeah. And in my course, I mean, you talk a lot about pivots in your, in the podcast and um, basically I'm just like pivot, 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 pivot. So, um, you know, I actually started out in my twenties acting or trying to, yeah. Um, All right. We and, have that in common. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I know it's acting photography. It's a lot of similarities. And then I moved into illustration and, you know, in the background to make the money, I was doing the styling or assisting other stylists or photographers. And then um, when I went back to doing styling, I was like, well, what am I going to do? I thought, oh, it'll be great. I can just pick and choose the illustration jobs I want, but actually was so much easier just to make money assisting or styling um, and make more money than I, than I was making doing illustration. But I was still looking for something to do. And I ended up being in a friend's, friend of a friend's like a cabaret performance, which put me back on stage for a minute. And I was like, oh, I miss this. I still miss this. Yeah. Um, which then led down to like a very weird road. I briefly did some stand-up comedy, which is- Wow. Yeah, you know, and I made tens of, tens of dollars doing that. Um, <laughs> but well, how brave. That's, that's the first word that I think of when I think of stand-up comedians is yeah. just 
b- sheer bravery. Yeah, and I don't know who that person was. <laughs> that was so brave to do that. Um, so I was doing stand-up. That's where I got in the habit of writing, having to come up with new material, you know, writing like every day. Oh, um, yeah. But then I kind of segued into doing personal pieces, independent pieces for radio. And then I was also writing narration there. Um, and for like a minute, I did at the dawn of the age of podcasting, I did a tiny little podcast, seven episodes, which were sort of um, thematic. And I would write a little short piece from my own life. And then I would interview people telling stories on the topic. Very. Um, oh, I want to go back and listen to that. <laughs> yeah, it's That's... it's still good. It's, you know, it was it's a little long form, you know, at the time, it's like you couldn't do it. Radio was like five minute, 10 minute pieces max and i was doing these sort of half hour episodes which are now like everything but it got sort of harder and harder to get other people getting people to interview i would meet friends on a job and they would tell a great story at lunch and i'd be like oh come do my podcast and then they would like be totally like freaked out on the mic (laughs) and i was like oh i can just like do this myself you know and and that's when i started thinking about writing fiction and taking classes. So that was really when I was 50. Wow, really? I love the progression from the visual arts to to the words, you know, and that it was actually performance art that that was your your gateway, you know, yes, your, gateway your br- drug. right? Your bridge <laughs> yeah. to to having to write your material. Yeah. And then I imagine that that started to give you confidence in your ability to write. And and then all of a sudden that opens up possibilities, right? Yeah. I had taken like a fiction writing class, like in my 20s, like briefly. I took a class and I was like, oh, yeah, this is like way like this is impossible. I can't do this. <laughs> but then I had sort of gotten a comfortable writing nonfiction, um, you know, just these short little pieces. Um you know, basically telling a story of something in my own life. And, uh, and then I just thought, well, what else am I doing? You know, and I'm already solitary. That was the thing I had been so afraid. I was like, writing is so solitary. You go off by yourself in a room. And I was like, yeah, I'm already by myself in a room. I might as well, I might as well do this. I might as well populate the room with, uh, with characters in my head. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And the first, uh, you know, the, the early stories that I wrote were, you know, very much based on events in my own life. You know, I mean, they were fictionalized, but definitely, I drew on my own life. And the novel was really um, the premise. It took off from something that I knew, people that I knew, the premise of um, this guy whose wife had died and was kind of a bit of a hoarder. So it was someone that I knew and our we completely fell out. I don't, you know, we're, we're no longer in touch. And I just tried to imagine what his life might be like. And then and then the novel grew out of that. Wow. Wow. Amazing, right? Where the ideas get sparked yeah. from. I mean, I know that you had, um, I guess it was a collection of, of short stories, right? Was that the Giving Care? Oh, so Was it short care... stories or was that more memoir? No, Giving Care is little micro essays about caring for my mom. That's a more recent, um, so I wrote that after the novel. Okay. Oh, that was written after the novel. Yeah. Oh, so that's a recent. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I thought it came before. No, 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 no. So, so let's back up because while you were working as, um, as a stylist, you were in San Francisco, right? Correct. And now you, you ended up moving back home to Queens, mm-hmm. right? To be yes. with your mom. So right. let's, let's kind of go back and see where that fits into your puzzle and, and how this all developed. Were you already writing when you were in San Francisco? Yeah. So I started writing in San Francisco about 2009. So actually started probably 2007. I started like taking classes and I had trouble finding a class that I really liked or a workshop. And I ended up working with one-on-one with an editor, which was more helpful to me at that time anyway, than a, than a group situation. Mm-hmm. And then I published my first short stories. I had kind of some early success publishing short stories. 
So I was writing and freelancing as a stylist. And then around 2012, I got a little stuck. Basically, I had used up kind of the stories that had been in my head sort of my whole life that 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 all sort of poured out into those first short stories. Uh-huh. And I didn't really know how to move forward from there. Like the editor I was working with, he said, well, so this is great. What else can you write about? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I kind of floundered for a while. And then I was like, well, I'll go to graduate school. And then because I didn't have any kind of formal education um, in in writing. Gotcha. Um, so you went back. So you went back to school. I did a low residency program. Yeah. Warren Wilson which is in North Carolina. They have a great program for writers, an MFA program. That's fantastic. And, and how old were you when you went and did that? So I was 50, uh, 53. Oh my gosh, I'm getting so yeah. excited. I, I, love, <laughs> I love hearing that you were willing to, to invest in yourself. Yeah. You took a chance. Because I think so many people stop themselves from going back to school or stop themselves from doing something because they feel like it's too late. And you did you did you run into any of that in your own like that kind of Definitely. not helpful self talk before because you decided to do it? You're spending all this money on yourself for this very personal thing that may not go anywhere. Yeah, you know. So you go to school for two. Um, you can do it in. Um, you can do it in two years or you can do it in longer. I actually did some extra time because <clears throat> in the middle of my graduate program, I also ran into like a, 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 a stuck place. And I had one semester that kind of like almost crashed and burned, but, but ended up being one of the semesters that I learned the most once I got past my writer's Ooh, block I hear, or whatever I you want to hear call about it. That. I love that because <laughs> I do think that there's, oh, there's so much juice in that, Sue when we run into those places that seem like we've run into a wall and there's nowhere else to go. And then you hit that, there's like this, I imagine that must've felt like a little bit of a feeling of despair. Oh yeah. I was thinking of dropping out. It was, um, it was a tough, I I mean, it was, some of it too was a misunderstanding with the mentor that I was working with at the time who was, um, you know, uh, a very well-known teacher and I, I was like very nervous and somehow um, we just got off on kind of like poor footing somehow. Um, and I mean, he was critical, like in a good way, in the way that you should be, but I took it, like he would ask questions and instead of my thinking, he would say, you know, why did she do this? You know, why did the character do this? I would hear like, why did she do this? Like what is wrong with you? And it was like, and it was a funny thing. He ended up, he was moving. So we kind of, everything was done through email exchanges of packets, but we ended up having a phone conversation and that totally cleared everything wide open. Ah. And then the rest of the semester was great. And was like, I feel like everything I know about dialogue, I learned from him actually, Pete Turchie. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was a great teacher. Um, amazing amazing like what we those little oh those little misunderstandings those little things that you that are actually coming in your own brain like the the way we interpret things that are said by other people right wow oh that's rich that's rich but you kept going I kept going and then as I say the novel started as a story and the first hundred pages of it became my graduate thesis. Um, and then but it was a completely different draft. And then it took me about another year to actually finish it once I was out of school. And was this too, happening while you were still in San Francisco so or had you San moved Francisco. to Queens yet? Yeah. Okay. No, so this was like, so in, I finished it in like two, 2016, 2017. Oh, wow. And I worked with a coach who was not, you know, wasn't um, writing, was just a coach, a person who helps you like work on whatever stops you from writing. Right. Um, but she's also a writer. So, I mean, she had opinions too. She was helpful. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, and then I was sending that draft of the novel around querying agents and getting like 
crickets. I got like one rejection and then like silence everywhere else. And then January, 2018, that's when my mom fell. So then I came back to New York and the first year was just basically crisis management and figuring everything out and figuring out how to care for her and hiring aides. Um, and she has dementia, right? So mm-hmm. you had already, you were already concerned and, and saw that, that, that she was going to be needing care and then she fell. Is that how that happened? No. So, um, she had a small fall, like in 2017, I think she blacked out, which ended up being, she was out like shopping at a little corner grocery in the neighborhood and she passed out, um, which was a blood pressure issue. Mm -hmm. And she ended up being fine. She got a couple of stitches in her head. Um, but that's sort of when I got involved with her. Um, mm. We hadn't been particularly close. I had kind of some estrangement with my family um, over the years. Um, but I got involved and I started being in touch with her from San Francisco uh, weekly and then eventually kind of on a daily basis talking to her on the phone. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was sort of thinking like I should really live in both places. I should make New York my home base and keep my apartment in San Francisco. And I was, so in 2018, I had thought I was going to go work this month long gig that I work. It's in a a bedding manufacturer showroom, West Point home. I was going to work that gig. And then while I was in New York, I was going to kind of figure out my transition, some kind of transition of being in both places. except then she fell and then i just was there just gotcha. in new york so i just left all my stuff in my apartment in san francisco and i had a friend that sometimes i had a, a friend who's also a stylist who she'd been an assistant to me and then was a stylist in her own right and um she would she would fly out i kind of like passed my clients on to her when they asked me for a referral and she would like fly out and stay in my apartment and use my car and use my gear, basically like live my life. Wow. Was, um, yeah. So that wow. was funny. Wow. 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 Oh my goodness. That's so a huge then I, change. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big, and they, the whole time, you know, people sit, would ask me like, what are you going to do? And I'd be like, I don't know. It was just like a big question mark. And there was no way to know there was just no way to know i mean at first it was hard to know whether my mom would survive the fall even and then it was a big fall right like i think you told me it was 12 steps yeah yeah she broke like all her ribs on one side she broke a clavicle and she fractured her knee on the opposite Uh, leg so she was really immobilized broke her nose a couple of fingers oh my gosh yeah it was bad um but so at the end of like a year, things had kind of settled down and I was like, well, I'll keep my apartment. So still keeping my apartment, even though I couldn't sublet it. But I sort of thought, well, you know, like paying the rent on that as like my uh, being paid to take care of her, you know, sort of that kind of a trade off. Like I'm taking care of her and she pays the rent on my apartment. So I still have my life out there. Okay. Um, yeah. And then as long as I was here in New York, I applied for um, a fellowship um, with Bookends, which is at uh, SUNY Stony Brook, Southampton. And that's a one-year mentorship program to revise a completed draft of a novel. Wow. Okay. Um, So I applied to that and Uh I got accepted. And you go out there this was before COVID, for 10 days at the, there's a uh, Southampton Writers Conference. That's where you start. And you meet the other people in your cohort. And then you work in a small pod of, with two other writers. And then you've been carefully, your books have been matched up so that you will be able to help each other's weaknesses and strengths. So the first half of that year, you work with your pod revising. And we met, I think every three weeks, it was another person's turn and you had a three hour meeting that was just about your book. 
they had read your draft and gave you feedback. And then the second half of the year, you still have your paw, but you work one-on-one -on -one with a mentor who is a, uh, you know, a, a well-published writer. Um, I worked with Amy Hempel actually was amazing. I don't know her. I'll have to look her mm. up. Amy Hempel. H-E-M-P-E-L. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Who was somebody that I had, um, you know, whose work I had been a fan of since the eighties. Um, so wow. Was, yeah, so you're really, like, oh my gosh, I'm working yes, with yeah. Amy Ample. <laughs> it was really good. She was amazing. It was good. Yeah. But so the second half of that year, um, that was also when COVID hit. Yeah. Wow. So kind of luckily I was sort of very ahead. I kind of had to finish that my revision pretty early on. Um, because once it got in the thick of it. Then I had, you know, had no aids. Was just me taking care of my mom full time. Wow, um, which is no joke. Um, and yeah, at, at what point did you did you realize that your mom had dementia? What, when was when did that all start to become evident to you? Um, well, when I was first here, you know, I, I knew that she was having memory loss, and I had gotten involved. You know, when I was still in San Francisco, like. I would come to visit several times a year. Had we made her bank account, we made her account joint so I could see what she was doing or what she wasn't doing and make sure everything got paid. Um, and just more and more, I was aware of what she would forget. And, you know, you, if you, from your dad, if you know, you see the signs that there's a lot of post-its around the house of where reminders, things are. And, um, but I didn't know anything about dementia and, um, but then also, and I, when I came to visit, she would hide things, you know, I mean, she managed, she was in her house. She was still taking care of a house and a yard and a cat. And, <laughs> um, but she, she had the help of a driver, um, who she met was a, uh, a car service driver who then became, you know, a friend. And he, he sometimes helped her with the grocery shopping and took her wherever she needed to go and did some help with the yard, oh, that kind of stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But then, so there was a fall, which also, I mean, obviously she hit her head, you know, which does not help. Yeah. Um, and then, as I say, the rehab, I could just really see, kind of rehab where you take an elderly person and you put them just in a room and they're surrounded by strangers all day long. I mean, every day that she was in rehab, either I or my brother or my sister-in-law were there like between nine and like five. So she still had contact with the world, but you take a person out of their environment. She got confused. My dad had a couple of health issues come up. So my dad, um, I, don't, I think we talked about it before yeah. I hit the record button, but my dad also has dementia. And several years ago, um, he had a couple of different incidents where he landed in the hospital and he, he was so much more confused in that yeah. situation than he was at home. And um, so it's interesting. And, and it was it was really uh, it was really worrisome in the hospital before I realized how important that daily routine is. Yeah. For yeah. somebody with dementia, there there's a grounding that happens uh, and being in their own space and their own routine. Um, and when you take them out of that, it's very disorienting and confusing. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to, um, I did a workshop and that's where I really understood. And um, that's sort of when I began to see, I was like, oh yeah, that's what she has. Um, but yeah. I also connected with NYU Langone has a, a family support program. Um, and I just called them and they connected me with a social worker who was amazing. And she was a person who helped me like figure everything out really. And yeah. initially the aids I had were terrible and I sort of was complaining about something and she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. She's like, you need to go through another agency. <laughs> like she's, I was kind of like walking on eggshells in my own house. She's like, that's not okay. That is not okay. 
Yeah, um, it's it is a challenge. It's a, my mom is the full time caregiver for my dad, and there's an agency that she works with there, and it, it's challenging because people say they'll be there at a certain time and they don't show up, and you know she's still working, yeah, so yeah. she has a schedule that she's trying to keep and you know when people don't show up at the time they say they're going to come it's 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 so tricky like how so you've got this this fascinating story of of like here you are you've gone really far yeah well no but you're a debut novelist and you're also a caregiver yeah and and in the thick of it and that's that's the reality we get older and these you know these challenges come up where, you know, that you didn't have in your 20s, yeah, right? Definitely. But this is what happens as we get older and, and, you know, our parents age or, our, you know, our kids get older and things happen and, you know, things just get complicated. Um, and funny, I'm, I'm thinking about your, your, your writing career is kind of blossoming right now in the midst of you being a caregiver how do you how does that feel to you (laughs) well i mean it's interesting i mean especially you know before covid i i kind of had like this really lucky situation which i had this i didn't have to work another job and i had dedicated time you know i had like three or four hours a day that i could just spend writing um and then i had the support of this fellowship you know it was kind of amazing yeah um and then even after covid when it was just me and my mom there still was you know early in the morning and then she takes quite a few naps in the day so i had time to myself um i think it can be hard for caregivers to carve out that time i congratulate you on taking advantage of what time you've had because and, i have yeah. have always done something creative and that's always sort of been my way through everything like any kind of hardship or emotional stress or breakup um that's always been my way through so if i didn't do that then all i would be doing is caring for my mom and that would be too hard for me psychologically you know i couldn't I have to have something that's me, that's mine, that I'm doing. So it's really kind of a, it is a, it's a bit of a survival mechanism for me, really, to have some kind of outlet. And in that way, writing is easy, never easy, but easy in the sense that you can do it. You know, I used to write a lot on my, still do, I'll write on my phone if I'm downstairs or something, or I have a thought or scribble on a piece of paper my handwriting is pretty legible so I try to use my phone (laughs) I Um, love the notes app on my phone for me sometimes I go out you know go for a walk and it's it's a working walk in a way I'm thinking about stuff or thinking about a new episode or some sort of content around what I'm doing and the notes app is amazing you know right 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 voice and and especially like just doing a voice recording into the notes app which just helps me kind of vomit the stuff out of my head and get it in. <laughs> I know a lot of people do that. I never really got fluent with that, but I know a lot of people. Uh, I said to a friend, we do that at lunch all the time. She'd just be suddenly talking and be like, "What? who are you talking to? She's like talking to her phone. Um, but but to, to loop it back a little bit, um, uh, just there was this funny thing that while I was revising the novel and living at my mom's with all my stuff, this apartment 3,000 miles away, I was writing about this guy who had all his stuff in a storage unit that he had to deal with. And um, actually, long after the novel was written and finished and due to be published was when I had my stuff shipped to New York. And... uh, that actually was a travesty. The movers, the packing, um, the person that did it, there were all kinds of issues. Every box was like damaged or dented. Things didn't show up. And the four guys packed it up 
but on this end, only one person, the guy driving the truck, and the truck didn't fit in the parking lot of the storage facility, so he had to park it someplace else, rent a U-Haul, unload everything off the truck, (gasps) come to the storage unit, and then it was just him and me, you know, so I just stood by the empty, like, storage unit while he, like, ferried things up. Then it was like very reflective of like the novel, you know, it was like life. And how imitating. funny. So, so that didn't, that didn't come before the novel because there's no, a lot of this no, stuff. I actually. wrote it and, <laughs> and then it happened. I made it happen. I made a moving catastrophe. That's I, crazy. Cause that's yeah. almost exactly what happens in the novel with his stuff. And in a way, yeah. I mean, like, yes. you know, the details are very, slightly different, but it was wow. very similar. I was like, Oh my God, how can this be happening? How can that's this be happening? Crazy. Yeah. I bet you were blown away way by that and I'm thinking about your your whole journey with this story it's been a long time it's been a minute right so you started it as a short story way back what year I mean, 2009 was when I was really writing short stories so yeah so I just want for anybody listening who is a first-time novelist I want you to hear this story (laughs) seriously because that this progression of okay it's a short story oh oh it's more than a short story this is clearly a novel I'm oh you mean do but the the book uh, oh so the book uh itself i mean was not i mean i was writing other stories although i gotcha. did write about that character i did write a short story about him in in like 2011 or 12. Ah, okay and when when was it that you finished the first draft of the novel and started shopping it around to agents remind me of that 2017 2017 and now here we are it's 2022 yeah so it took me like two years it was over two it didn't like take two years but over the course of two years that i wrote the original draft and then um basically you know eight or nine months that i wrote the revision and that ended up being the the finished book yeah once you had so here we go here let's get into the publishing question once you had your revised draft then and then you start sending out again what was that process like that was a nightmare oh no (laughs) no (laughs) i queried over a hundred agents and I submitted to contests and independent presses. How did you keep going, Sue? Well, I'll tell you, it's a funny thing, but I had Susie Merrill, who's the one of the co-directors of the Bookends program. At the end of your fellowship, you have like a little chat with her about like, what's next? And she had suggested to me, she said, you should play all sides of the street. She says, submit to agents, submit to contests, submit submit, submit, submit. And essentially I promised her that I would do that. And because I had said that I would, that was really the thing that made me keep doing it because I was like, oh, I can't, I can't not, I promised her, I promised her I, that I would give it my all. And then, you know, I did like some, I did like query writing workshops and um, you know same thing I looked for online support for people that were submitting novels and Facebook finders and I had like agents who liked the book but not enough to take it on and then I basically was I was just about out of my list of agents and I had been thinking of possibly submitting to like a to She Writes Press, which is a hybrid press, which is the only hybrid press I would have done because they are very reputable and they do a lot of literary Yeah, um, I've heard of them. Fiction. Yeah. 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 And then I won one of the contests, which included a prize of a thousand bucks and publication, and that's uh, Madville Publishing. Um, so wow. that was my... So that was it. That was that, that was... was it. <laughs> wow. 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 Did you ever consider just self-publishing? No. No. Because I um stubborn that way. I mean, I, I think that, that it's a great thing for for many people, you know, and I, I, I have only admiration for people that do it. And I know people have found great success. People have self-published and then been picked up 
or had other novels picked up by, you know, big five. Um, but I always wanted that, um, a feather in my cap in a way, you know, yeah. I always wanted that recognition of being of somebody, somebody else publishing my yeah. book. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, there's so many ways to do it now that are available to, to authors and, so anybody else who's a new time author, I mean, there's there's so there's so many ways to skin a cat now. You know, if you really want to go the route of being published, just know that you're going to have a lot have to put out all those inquiries and and take all that rejection for for that time, most likely, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I and I think that um, I think one of the reasons many people do self publish is because they're older and because they don't have time you know the clock is ticking uh, yeah the clock is ticking and that whole process even even in the best case scenario so let's say you're super fast and you takes you a year to write a book and then let's say you get an agent right away still gonna take them you know at least you know half a year you're gonna end up doing some revision with that agent mm -hmm. and then they have to sell your book and then the let's say you get a big five publisher still going to be another year before that book comes out. Um, that's a lot of time publishing my first novel at 65. <laughs> yes. I'm so that see to, to me, that's just like the most exciting thing. You know, I, you must but have a sense of accomplishment. I do. I do. It, it's a big, it's funny. You know, I, I recently, you know, in advance of our, um, speaking, I like, oh, like I better reread the book, <laughs> which is, which is, <laughs> you know, actually now. So it's finished in, in 2020, you know, but two years, that's a long time in life to, you know, as a, and as a writer, you know, you keep writing. So then you sort of become a different person all the time on the page mm -hmm. as your, as your work grows. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see. I still love the book, so that was good. <laughs> and and rightly so. It's 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 lovely. Um, and I don't know if you if you saw, but um, I actually I did the cover art. Did you? Oh, of course yeah. you did. Which was an amazing thing. That's like the one. Uh, no, of, I did not notice that detail. Um, looking at the wow. My publisher Kim Davis. We were. I had some photos we were going to maybe use, but they didn't really work out. And we were kind of looking at some stock photography and artwork. And I said, you know, can I just take a shot at this? And she's like, Go ahead, you know. <laughs> and then, and I hadn't painted in years. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a, a guitar silhouette there, which yeah. ties into the story. It's um, it's beautiful. Thank you. Wow. So that was a, that. a really nice full circle. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and somehow ties into the story itself, like the story of you, of you doing the artwork. You know, I love that he's got this um, song in Correct. the back of his head the exactly. whole time, you yes. know, so yeah. there you are doing your own creative work and there it is on the cover. And that What's was that? definitely something, you know, as I was writing the book and writing that character, I mean, you're writing somebody else, but it's like in a dream where you are really all the, all the characters in the dream are all made out of the fabric that is you. Um, so that was kind of my, the expression of that ambition was giving him that, that song that he was somehow trying to write, you know, that was yeah, the and his right. deceased wife was an artist, right? So Correct. there's yeah. that. Um, yeah, I put a lot of myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But I wanted to say too, that you were talking about, you know, the, you know, I mean, interruption is not really the right word, but having kids and the way that that can um impact you know a creative path but because i didn't have kids that was so sort of how i ended up doing all these different things i never was content um somehow i've always been doing two things at once <laughs> me i really too. admire me too. I, really I don't admire I'm, I'm people <laughs> that have just like one i'm like oh <laughs> if only that would be so nice to have only one <laughs> but uh but so I was always looking for for some 
something to put my energy and spirit into. Um, and now basically I have my mom, that's kind of me. That's my, my, uh, you know, that's the, the, the family thing that I didn't do. It's strangely now it's what I'm doing is taking care of somebody. Which is amazing. And, and, um, you know, to go from having a little bit of estrangement, I hear that in your story as well. And then, and then finding your way back to relationship, um, in the most intimate of ways, all of a sudden yeah. you're, you're back and you're, you're the caregiver. That's, yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's life, man. Yeah. <laughs> Full right? circle. You yeah. just never know where it's going to take you and the gifts that are actually hidden in the challenges of, yeah. of that are, um, agreed. Yeah. And that's definitely for me too, is always like, what can I make out of this? Mm-hmm. And it, and my whole progression was always trying to find the creative medium that would express the most of who I am and sort of the best of my abilities. And, and the great thing about writing is that I write a lot of stories that have to do with art or artists. Um, you can put everything in there. You don't have to like, <laughs> you know... You can have the character that's an actress. You can have the character that's the painter or a sculptor, whatever it is. Um, So you get to sort of have that life in a way, even if that's not what you're currently doing. Yeah, yeah. It's been just lovely to talk to you. It's been lovely to talk to you too. I feel like we went like, woo. We did, we did. I don't know where we went. That's the way I roll, girl. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just that our stories are complex. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, it's not like point A to point B. It, it It is, you know, I think the more that we can embrace the idea that it's not a, a steady meteoric rise upwards that that the down moments could actually be our most fruitful uh our most fruitful times mm-hmm. for launching us into the next thing um that's what i see in your story and uh we have been all Thank over the you. place but i that's yeah. kind of what i'm getting from from what's happened for you yeah. i mean and and in terms of like late bloomer you know the thing is is like you could do nothing or you could do something, <laughs> you know, whatever that thing is, Yeah. you know, you could, you know, there's time and, you know, there's a time that you have left and there's what you make with that time, you know, and how you want to spend it. The options are out there, you know, uh, which is what I love about what you talk about so often is, is just people just like, chasing down dreams or ideas that they had, you know, either five minutes ago or 50 years ago. It doesn't really matter, but it's like, where are you now? And what do you want? What do you want to do today? What do you want to do today? That's the real question. I mean, because and sometimes it is the thing that you wanted when you were a kid that you never got to do. Sometimes it's still in you. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's something (laughs) completely surprising like for me photography was that I didn't I didn't know I wanted to be a photographer that that came out of nowhere I mean I knew I liked taking pictures and I wanted to take good pictures and I wasn't taking good pictures and I was frustrated because I couldn't get the kind of pictures I thought I wanted you know what I mean and a layoff from a job is what launched me down that path right right you know you just don't know you're not the same person you were yesterday So it's a constant checking in, I think, of taking a temperature of of yourself and and what you want today. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I I could talk to you for forever. I know. Where where can people get your book? Um, You can get the book. It's uh, it it launches on July 19th um, and then it will be available from bookshop.org or from Madville Publishing or Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, all the usual places fantastic and i'm taking a quick look to see because we're here talking on july 6th and uh i'm gonna have this out in the world for you by august 3rd so by the time people hear that 
every single the be book out. will be yeah. out and ready to go. Yeah. So go get it, folks. And uh, <laughs> are you working on anything new now or where can people keep in touch with you and find out what's next for you? Um, SueMelWrites.com is my website and you can get a hold of me through there and it's got whatever, um, whatever is newly published or events coming up. That's all up there. Um, Instagram also is also Sue Mel writes. Well, fantastic. I can't wait for people to hear your story. Thank you very much for sitting down with me and, oh, and thank getting you. into all the stuff. Such a pleasure. Yeah, I do feel like we got into all the stuff. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, what did I say? <laughs> well, thanks again. And oh, good luck you. with the launch. Um, thank I you hope, so much. I wish great things for you. All right, Yvonne. It's been great. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. A novel that was years in the making. A woman who started in the visual arts and the performing arts and ended up becoming a writer after years of thinking that that was the last thing she would want to do. A woman who had stops and starts along the way, but kept going when things got tough. I love it when I hear stories of people surprising themselves. One of the things I love the most about my conversation with Sue was seeing an example of how someone could take on the work of a caregiver without completely losing themselves in the process. I mean, man, she published a novel. Incredible. You know, I think it's very likely that many of us will find ourselves, if we haven't already, we will find ourselves in the role of being a caretaker at some point in our lives. If you're a parent, you've been a caretaker to your children. If you're married, it's likely that you may end up being a caregiver to your spouse. If you're lucky enough to still have your parents around, they may need your help. And, you know, like I said, maybe you've already been there. And, you know, by the way, I just want to I want to put this out there. If you have been a caregiver and you have some insights to share about how you managed and what you learned along the way, I'd really love to hear from you. It might make a really good podcast episode for season three. So get in touch. Uh, LateBloomerLiving at gmail.com is my email. And speaking of season three, I will be back. In September, that'll be September 21st, with a brandy new episode. I've already recorded several of the interviews for season three for when we come back. And, oh man, I am so, I'm overflowing with excitement about who's coming up. <laughs> so be sure to come back and join me then. Ah, wow. Okay, I'm off to Ireland. I'm off to Ireland. I, I was going to try to do an Irish accent, but that just went really wrong. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope you take inspiration and hope from these stories. And by the way, if you are interested in learning more about Sue Mel, you can go to latebloomerliving.com and click on the show notes for episode 109. Thank you again so much for listening. This is the longest goodbye ever. I feel like I'm going to miss you. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.